Well, welcome and happy Christmas to you all. If you've been following along with our Advent series here at New St. Peter's, then you know we've spent some time in the Old Testament in recent weeks, tracing the mission of God to bring peace on earth. And we've been considering this mission through the lenses of uh, the, the, the promise of peace through a coming Messiah who is foreshadowed primarily in the Old Testament offices of prophet and priest and king. And the Old Testament does this in some subtle and some not so subtle ways, but especially by drawing out the longings of the human heart for peace through these three offices. We long for blessing and rest, and so we need a priest to bless us with the presence of the Lord. And we long for safety and security, so we need a king to rule and defend us. And we long for real and true peace over against the easy and false kinds of peace that we want to pursue. So we need a prophet to show us the way of real peace through repentance. And this afternoon, we will consider for a brief moment together the ways that the New Testament announces Jesus' fulfillment of those longings and of that great and ancient promise of God to his people. And so we'll read together from Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, which is printed on your bulletin in page 6. And for those watching on the live stream, it's in your liturgy on page 6. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but these words of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. O God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of the true light. Grant that we who have known the mystery of that light on earth may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven, where with you and the Holy Spirit he lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. And would you be seated? We'll ask most people children and adults alike. And the one feeling that best characterizes this day, Christmas Eve, is undoubtedly the feeling of anticipation. Eager expectation. You see it on the children's faces, don't you? Just a little while ago, we had a a service geared for families with young children. You could see it in their eyes and their squirms and their squeals of joy. But you can generally see it in the parents' eyes, too, that eager expectation that something glorious is coming. 
a few days together with family and the joys of gift giving and carols and worship and so much more. Anticipation, expectation, looking forward to something or someone whose coming is as sure as a date on the calendar. Someone who will bring joy and rest and peace. But in this year, in 2020, I wonder if that sense of anticipation for many of us isn't mixed with all of the angst and grief and unrest that has been stewing within us for the better part of nine months. Anxiety about a disease that is more prevalent now than when this pandemic began. Anxiety about economic recovery or further downturn. Grief over the countless losses, great and small, that we've all endured as a society in these months. Unrest because of the uncertain end of this pandemic and all the mess that accompanies it. Anticipation and angst. Two emotions that I think ought to be involved in every celebration of Christ's first advent until the day he returns and we celebrate his second advent in glory. Now we've spoken a lot this year at New St. Peter's about the unsettled position that the Christian presently occupies in this age, our status as exiles on our way to a better homeland, and the accompanying sense of unrest or angst which must come For those who have found themselves transferred into the kingdom of light, yet who still sojourn in this world of darkness. And I hope that feeling resonates with you because I think it's absolutely the longing that Christmas begs from us. And I think it's a feeling which God's people certainly knew well at the dawn of the days of the New Testament. When the light of prophecy had seemed to be stamped out and God seemed to be silent. And Israel had been subdued by the Romans and the Greeks before them and the Persians before them. And when the priesthood had been corrupt since the time of their return from exile. And yet the promise remained of a coming one who would crush the head of the ancient serpent. Whose temptation brought on the fall of man and all the darkness and conflict and corruption known to us. And so they waited with expectation until one night in some pasture land outside of the insignificant little town of Bethlehem, the splendor of the almighty God and creator of the universe appeared with a multitude of angels and announced that the Prince of Peace has come in flesh to fulfill the ancient promise of God to bring peace on earth. And make no mistake about it, the announcement of the angels on that first Christmas night was nothing less than the first preaching of the gospel of peace in history. Now, I don't mean it was the first time that the gospel had been alluded to or foreshadowed, because we've spent the the better part of a month unpacking that reality from the Old Testament. But here we have the first instance in history of the proclamation of the coming of the Son of God in flesh as the fulfillment of all that longing, all those promises made by God himself to bring peace on earth. The angels proclaim 
They, they proclaim the historic climax of the ancient story which has been written since the beginning of time, and they proclaim it first by pointing to the Messiah's ancient origins. For unto you this day is born in the city of David. Now what's remarkable about this little town of Bethlehem that we're so familiar with at Christmas time? Well, not much really. It's called in Scripture too little to be among the clans of Judah, an insignificant little outpost except that it's also the birthplace of King David, the greatest king in Israel's history. Now, that's the ultimate hometown sign, right? We don't have these here in the city, but when you drive through the the little towns on the way to Grandma's house, you always see the sign that claims the the fame of the town because of whatever celebrity was born there. I pointed out to the kids in our first service that Clayton Kershaw, one of the greatest pitchers in baseball history, was born right here in Dallas, just a few miles from here. And they looked at me like, who? Who? Bethlehem was the city of David, the the city from whence the great king came. And so it had ancient ties to kingship in Israel, but it also had ties far more ancient. You're probably familiar with this prophecy from Micah, read often at Christmas time. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel." Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Did you hear it? You, Bethlehem, from you shall come forth one whose coming was written from the most ancient of times. The seed of a woman in labor pains who would subdue the enemy and rule his people in peace. Sound familiar? The prophet Micah here is drawing our attention back to that first promise of peace at the fall of man as if to say this coming one who is born in this little town of Bethlehem is the culmination and the fulfillment of that ancient promise of God to bring peace. And so the angel's announcement of the Christ's ancient origins is nothing short of a proclamation that the promise is being fulfilled in the days of these poor shepherds in a field outside Bethlehem. But that's not the only signal given in the angel's announcement that the Christ is the fulfillment of all these longings. For he, as he has ancient origins, he is also given an ancient title. Notice what he's called in verse 11. He is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's notable that Luke tells us a bit later in this chapter that the Christ was not called Jesus until after his circumcision on the eighth day. Now that name Jesus is not insignificant, but here in verse 11, the angels are announcing his title. Who is he? Who is this one who has been born? He is the Savior who is Christ 
the Lord. He is the Messiah. For Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. But what did these shepherds understand at this announcement? What kind of Messiah were they looking for? Well, they were looking for a Messiah who would be the fulfillment of all of the promises of God and who would come to shine light on the present darkness God's people found themselves in and found in themselves. So what was the state of the union, so to speak, at the time of Christ's birth with regard to the offices of prophet and priest and king? As you may know, Herod the Great had undertaken the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the priesthood centered there was functioning. But after the exile, the temple and its priesthood became the destination of an increasing flow of taxes and tithes, adding to the centrality of the priesthood on the socio-political stage. And so Israel's overlords found it to be politically expedient to appoint and exchange high priests at their leisure. And the priesthood, at least in the city of Jerusalem, had become increasingly politically intertwined with the concerns of Roman provincial rulers. And so it's no surprise that some of Jesus' chief opponents during his ministry on earth were the chief priests. But what about the office of prophet? Well, the popular opinion of the day at the dawn of the New Testament was that prophecy had ceased and that the Lord was not speaking in the same ways that he had spoken through the prophets of old. That's why John the Baptist was such a strange figure on the scene. But clearly the concept of prophethood had fallen on hard times. And you're no doubt aware that the office of king was left no less unfulfilled, for the people were ruled by the Romans, whose emperors were rivaled in their minds only by the gods. And so, prophet and priest and king, all of these offices are in disarray, none of them fully functioning for its intended end, so that the name given here for this coming Savior is so significant As one scholar has said, the name Christ refers to him as the fulfiller of the promises of God who has been anointed by God as the great prophet and priest and king. He's given an ancient title which draws together the ancient longings of God's people for blessing and safety and peace. But then finally, not only are his origins and his title reminiscent of those ancient promises of God, but he is worshipped by the angels for consummating an ancient and future mission. You know, the reaction of the shepherds here is quite consonant with the, the reaction of men in Scripture when the glory of God appears to them. The text tells us that when the, the glory of the Lord shone around them, they were filled with great fear. Which is exactly the right emotion when the glory of the Lord appears in the presence of sinful man. Right? We've covered this when we looked at Genesis 3, where the Lord cast out the man and the woman for their sin away from his presence. Because as the Lord himself proclaimed to Moses, man cannot endure his holy presence and live. And then we said that the function of the priesthood in the Old Testament was to usher God's people back to the presence of God through the way that the Lord himself has made. 
So against the backdrop of that fear, it's remarkable what the angel says. Fear not. Why? Because the Messiah is born. And look at his mission. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. His mission is to bring peace on earth. Peace through the way that he would make through his own blood. Real peace in dealing with sin and leading his people to repentance. And safety and security as their king who rules and defends them against all enemies. Peace with God and peace with each other as his subjects. You know, this time in the Roman Empire was characterized by the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, brought about by the rule of Caesar Augustus, who makes a brief cameo in the text that we just read, perhaps by way of contrast, because the peace that he offered was a tenuous and military peace. Security and safety and travel and trade were all made possible under his rule, and yet You know what one Roman philosopher in the first century said about this peace? He wrote this, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion and grief and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns even more than outward peace. And so even this pagan philosopher recognized as God's expectant people has always, have always believed that peace comes not through political prowess, nor first through success on the battlefield, nor through affluence, nor through economic prosperity. For none of those things can suffice to fulfill the longings of the human heart. The angst that exists within each of us, the unrest and disquiet of soul that we all share, And none of those things can transcend the promise of God to usher his people back to the peace we were made for through our great prophet and priest and king. And none of those things, whether in first century Rome or 21st century America, can bring true hope and eager expectation like the reign of the true prince of peace whose coming was proclaimed by the angels and whose return at the end of the age has been promised to us. He will come again to put all enemies under his feet, ruling and defending his people, and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And so may the peace of the Lord be with you. Let's pray. O God of peace, you have given to us your peace through the incarnation of Jesus Christ, our great prophet and priest and king. And so would you bless us with that peace again this Christmas time as we worship you. May we find our rest in you. May we find our safety and security in you. And may we be reminded that real peace is accompanied by truth and righteousness. And so may we look to you, the God of truth, And may we look to Christ, our righteousness, in worship and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.